This is the MyHeart.net podcast. This show is produced by Dr. Philip Johnson in conjunction with VitalEngine.com. Please welcome your host, Dr. Elaine Bouchard of Cardiology Specialist of Birmingham, Alabama at St. Vincent's Medical Center, part of Ascension. Well, welcome to MyHeart.net, and uh, today I think we're going to talk about a very important you know, subject, which is um, a journey of resilience uh, from heart attack to heart transplant. And with us today, we have a very special guest because he's um, he's been my patient for many years and a friend for even longer. So with us today, we have uh, Houston Dill. And Houston, thank you for um, taking the time and being here with us at MyHeart.net. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, glad to be here. So, Houston, uh, when I when I met you, you were just in your twenties, and uh, and uh, you were running this little company called uh, Dill Communication, you know, which was very good. It was the time where you know cell phones were really taking off, and uh, you, you were this young man, very ambitious and and hard worker, and um, you know we had this you had this little bout with with atrial fibrillation. Can you tell us a little bit? Um, how did that present, and you know what were your symptoms at the time? Uh, originally, it presented uh, much earlier than than we uh, got started. I was actually still early twenties in the military, and um, I had the symptoms, and I actually pre- presented with the uh, the dizziness, lightheadedness that you'll get uh, with it, and I uh, I saw doctors about it, but. You know, it was a come and go thing. It wasn't there all the time. And while I think they might have heard it once or twice, they never said you have atrial fibrillation. They just, you know, just didn't. And that proceeded on. I got out of the military and uh, went on to be hospitalized the first uh, time around age 24-ish. Um, and uh, then I found you. And uh, you uh, you listened and you put a harness on me and we finally had a diagnosis and began to treat it, uh, which you know helped a lot in the beginning because uh, it was impacting my quality of life and my ability to perform my my duties as both my work and my and my family. Um, well, that rocked on and it can, it got to the point where the medicines just wasn't doing it. And it continued to, it got to the point where I was in atrial fib more often than I wasn't. Um, and you referred me uh, to Dr. McGiffin, uh, who was doing a thing called the maze procedure. Uh, you might can explain more what the maze procedure is, but uh, basically they get rid of the uh, bad pass where the electricity is causing your heart to beat wrong. I did really well with that. Honestly, I was uh, very shocked at how quickly I... Uh, recovered from that and got to feeling really well. As time uh, went on after that, I went to getting back in shape because I had been in shape. I've tried to stay in shape my whole life. Uh, I got back in shape after the uh, MACE procedure and did very well. Uh, Didn't have any real problems after that. Uh, I think my EF had come up to 50 uh, at that point in time. Uh, And Continued to work, raised my family. Uh, actually, six months after the um, 
mace procedure, I had gotten to feeling well enough and in good enough shape that I was playing a competition paintball on a sponsored team, uh, traveling around the southeast, and it's uh, it's a speedball where you're running and dodging and all that. So it was a remarkable experience to have uh, had that mace procedure. It really made changed my life. Of course, that was you know, over 25 years ago. Uh, we have so many kind of newer procedure now that are, you know, not requiring the mace procedure. But right. you know, this is this was surgery that you had. You know, Dr. McGiffin, one of the greatest surgeon, cardiovascular surgeon I know, uh, now is back in Australia, but you know, did a marvelous job. Now, of course, we do all we have all these new techniques of atrial fibrillation, ablation, but it was very unusual to be a you know a twenty or late twenty year old with atrial fibrillation, and you and I are probably not quite finished when the in investigation of this, you know, it's really unusual, and we need to make sure that, you know, you didn't have, you know, kind of one of those gene or genetic predisposition, you know, to AFib, which we know now there are certain genes that can make you, um, you know, prone to develop AFib at a young age, be important, you know, mostly for your kids. So we'll need, we'll need to pursue this and do some genetic testing with Dr. Yes, like I'm very interested in doing that, yeah. actually. I think it'd be important. Well, you, you were doing well and in, in, um, in pursuing this. Then you had this bout with CLL or, or chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And yes. This was so um, uh, unexpected, but it, it was like almost like a um, you know, major speed bump and because you were still young and it's rare that it occurs. And it occurs most frequently when you're, 65 years old. Uh, about I was 44. Then, 44 mm -hmm. with CLL. Uh, tell us, what kind of symptoms did you have at that time? And how was it? Uh, it uh, treatment? I really didn't know what was going on. Uh, I was having a harder time breathing uh, and fatigue. And later, come to find out the reason I was having a hard time breathing is because my lymph nodes were swollen uh, uh, with the cancer which was uh, making it hard to breathe. Um, I went through a doctor and it, it took a minute to get that uh, diagnosis correct and uh, got to the oncologist. I was much later, much further along than what she would have liked me to get to her at that time, but um, it, was, uh, it was rough. Uh, no doubt it always is with cancer. I uh, did have to go through uh, chemo and uh, caught, caught some, uh, I don't know the name of the drug. I just know that once it leaked out on my hand from the IV and it uh, gave me a, a burn on my hand, it was a very mild burn because the nurse was right there and she quickly, she knew what would happen. So she did, you know, she did right. She got off my skin. So uh, that's when I learned that the insides are way tougher than the outsides of <laughs> you. Uh, I was very amazed to learn that. Um, that took me uh, uh, six months to uh, get into remission, which was uh, very quick uh, for CLL. Uh, I had been in really good shape then as well. And uh, and uh, so I think that helped me. Uh, I also, you know, applied uh, positive thinking and uh, deciding to get better, cut myself off from all the other options. Um, I know that may sound corny to some people, but I, I believe it 
it helps impact one's results and at the very least it improves your quality of life that's so so true houston i mean patients with cancer whether it's a woman with breast cancer or or a man with prostate or any other type of cancer number one this active lifestyle that you had was so important in, in just kind of making you kind of a better fighter you know of this cancer uh so it was your physical conditioning it was your healthy lifestyle as well as this you know positive uh, thinking that really helped you beat this cancer you know which is pretty fantastic of course we're talking this was at least 10 years ago or 10 12 years ago um 12 years ago 12 years ago so you know in those days they had some chemotherapy and probably you had some cyclophosphamide i don't know whether you had adriamycin but we know that these medications can affect the heart and sometimes it's not always that obvious and sometimes it happens you know we see women for example we treat with breast cancer they have a chemotherapy and they they cure their cancer and then eight years later they present with heart disease so you know it is possible that some of the um, medication that you got for your cancer may have influence or affect your heart you know in its response to you know a heart attack or heart failure or whatever but anyway you survived this which is really fantastic six months you were cured um what a beautiful results and i was uh, in remission after that you still have to continue doing chemo for a period of time uh and then that it for what they call uh, maintenance until you get past a certain amount of time. And at first the chemo is very often. And then after you reach, uh, uh, get into remission, it dwindles off less number of treatments, less is getting pumped into you until finally they, they turn you loose. Uh, and that was, uh, well, that was, that was an experience. Uh, I was able to continue working and, and, uh, take care of my, kids and such um and you were working in the mines weren't you yeah at that point in time i'd taken a uh a job as an electrician underground coal mine Hmm. and uh doing night shifts so you could get your chemo during the day i mean that's right i was very fortunate the management was very understanding supportive at uh and uh, at the mine they uh moved me to out shift a night shift and uh allowed me to basically work eight in the gate, get in, do my eight and leave so that I could get, leave from the mine, go to the chemo center, sit down in the chair. And often it was four, uh, sometimes five or six hours because uh, as they're pumping it in, it depends on how you're tolerating it as to how fast they can pump it in. And uh, sometimes I was in that chair for five or six hours. Uh, luckily it was a good napping chair because uh, I needed to sleep uh, but I get out of there in time to, to get home maybe take a little nap get up spend time with my kids and uh, wash rinse and repeat go right back uh, but I think that helped me honestly uh, uh, I think anytime you don't keep moving that you don't keep doing something uh, don't have a something to keep you going uh, is detrimental to your recovery, whether it be work, a hobby, or or, or whatever it might be. Uh, you got to keep on keeping up. Okay. And, uh, it didn't make it easier, but I got through it, so evidently it wasn't too bad. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. So um, now, you know, we, we keep going. You're, you're surviving this, and you're doing well. 
um, and um, and then you revisited the um, the cardiac arena. Uh, yes, I did. Tell us um, a little bit what happened when you uh, when you presented with this heart attack. How many years later was that, uh, Houston? Um, I went to remission uh, around 45, 44, six. It was six, uh, six years, years after ballpark. Yeah. As I was fifty years old, um, and, but it was the end of fifty. Uh, uh, end of that year in 2018, I was out to uh, dinner with my uh, daughter for her 25th birthday, and we finished dinner and, and uh, we're all gathered around talking. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, I had an elephant sit down on my chest. And you hear people say that you don't understand it, I don't think, until it actually uh, takes a seat. But, um, uh, Honestly, I was a, I was a, I felt a little weak, had the pressure of a, sitting on my chest, and uh, I was a little winded, but not like you would think, um, not like I would have expected, but I did recognize signs of heart attack, um, and we were very close to the ER, so rather than wait on an ambulance and all that, my daughter just drove me straight to the ER, and I walked in under my own power. Uh, they got me hooked up shortly thereafter. They booked me a ride on a helicopter and I love helicopter rides, but not that one. <laughs> and, uh, so that got me, uh, uh, to you guys and, uh, received a stint. From yeah, my... That was the, the widow maker. You know, the it was prox yeah. approximately the large myocardial infarction, you know, that, that it can cause. And you know, a lot of people don't even make it through it, but. You did, you know, again, recognize the well, sign. I would preface that with, uh, I was really at, at 50 when this happened, I was in one of the absolute best shapes I've ever been in my life. Uh, I was working out regularly. I was eating very clean. Uh, I mean, I was really, had been at this for a while on maintaining a, a very healthy uh, eating and activity, uh, doing a lot of what I call outdoor adventuring. Uh, and kayaking, backpacking, hiking, such as that, and camping in general. Uh, so that, I believe, is what helped me uh, survive that heart attack. And remaining calm, I, I know it's hard to do, um, but if you can remain calm when something like this happens, it, it, it helps you a lot. Right. So. After the heart attack, of course, the um, the... the the heart attack had damaged the heart, you know, quite a bit, and, and you developed some congestive heart failure. And, um, you know, we started some, I remember we started some medical treatment, you know, at that time we had mostly, you know, the ACE inhibitors and we have the beta blockers, you were on aspirin, Plavix, as well as a statin. However, you know, it seems like we were not making headway, you know, in terms well, of heart failure treatment. I believe what happened was, uh, I think when the the original heart attack damaged my heart, no doubt, because uh, I felt better after stint, but I never felt right. Uh, but it didn't take too long until I had another event. One month later, I am uh, on 2059, just about to pass UAB and uh, Bessemer, and uh, my heart went nuts, man. I went to a... Uh, VTAC storm and um, I 
I'm not saying I recommended this to other people, but I was right there at the exit. UAB Bessemer was right there, UAB West. So I uh, booked on off the uh, the off ramp, um, reached into my console, uh, pulled out two aspirin, chewed them up, swallowed them, and uh, even threw my blood pressure cup on uh, and set it to go, but never looked at it just in case they needed to know what was going on. I, I didn't know whether they would or not. But I chewed up the two aspirin and I was at the ER and, and nothing flat. Um, there weren't many parking places I didn't bother. I went ahead and parked illegally and uh, got on in there. Uh, told them, you know, that I'd had a heart attack a month ago and right now I'm not sure what's going on. I uh, didn't have the elephant set on my chest this time. And uh, they hooked me up real quickly and realized I was having a, a NOV tax storm. Um, they lost me once, uh, but, but, uh, brought me back. I think it was back before they thought I was back because I was, uh, I was witnessing a lot that was going on in an amazing way. And, um, that, that's a whole other story. Uh, it would take too long to get into here, <laughs> but I don't know if I've ever told you about that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll discuss it whenever it's appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but that VTAC, uh, it, it really took me down. You know, uh, yeah. they got me stable sent me on to uh to you guys and y'all implanted my um cruise control and my bug zapper um my my uh pacemaker and my icd i call them my cruise control and my pacemaker defibrillator yes yeah um uh, that one really took a toll and I, I went down rapidly uh after that as you recall it was uh very shocking how rapidly uh, I went downhill, lost tons of weight, and you got me in to see the uh, transplant team at UAB. My very good friend, Jose Delari. Yes, he moved to Phoenix, I believe it was. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. The day after. <laughs> he, he met <laughs> me the day after. The <laughs> day he met with me was his last day at UAB. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So anyway, you're, here you are at UAB, and, and now you started the... Um, yeah, and being involved with the heart failure team, you know, advanced heart failure team at UAB, and particularly um, with the uh, kind of moving up the step, you know, in, in the treatment of your heart failure that was really, really, I mean, basically resistant to medication, and, and uh, this was time to kind of... The muscle was pretty well shot. Yes. That's what it boils down to. And here we started talking about, you know, some of the mechanical ways you know, to help your heart, and, and how did you, um, you know, talk, uh, what was your, the process of getting you an LVAD? Um, well, I, I met uh, with a doctor, and he went through our options. Uh, my brother and my son were with me, and uh, um, the LVAD sounded like the way to go if I would qualify. I also, my right ventricle was not as he put it, it was not pristine, but it wasn't horrible. I would never forget. That's that's how he put it. And so I had to go in to be evaluated. Uh, they admitted me. Um, and I had really, I mean, it was like day by day that, that I was uh, deteriorating. My situation was deteriorating even then uh, on an ongoing. It was just sliding right on down here. So, uh, luckily I got in when I did, 
because uh, it wouldn't last much longer because uh, within a matter of days, we were at the point where uh, they were putting, had to do an emergency uh, balloon pump uh, to get everything going because my kidneys were shutting down. And um, then it was, it was go time. It was time to uh, make a decision. Um, doctors come talk to me and, you know, we discussed it. I wasn't the absolute best candidate, um, but they qualified me. And uh, so we, we did it. Uh, it was, uh, it was rough. Uh, it was a rough surgery to recover from. Uh, actually, uh, a lot of LVAD patients that I've talked to that went on to get heart transplants have uh, told me the same thing I would tell you. And that is compared to the LVAD recovery, heart transplant was a walk in the park. Uh, it's a tougher recovery in general. But it's doable, and it's a wonderful thing. Um, I was very thankful to have the LVAD and have that opportunity to uh, get better, build myself back up. I lost a lot of muscle mass, went from 210 to 160-some-odd. 210 muscular to no muscle, uh, no nothing. My, my son uh, said it looked like Skeletor, um, and I can laugh about it now. Um, uh, you have to, you know. Uh, but the LVAD, wow. I mean, it makes you feel so, so much better. Uh, within a couple of days, they had me up walking. Uh, at first with a walker and with the stand-up walker and all that. Then I graduated to the down-low walker. And uh, within a week or so, I graduated to no walker at all. And uh, I was doing laps uh, about two weeks uh, or so out of that surgery, they, uh, two weeks or so, they, uh, let me out of the hospital, but to start with, I had to take the test to qualify that I could. You had walked so much laps in a period of time and you had to pass physical therapies test. Well, physical therapies test, one of them was the stairs test. You had to be able to walk up a few steps and walk back down. And, uh, the LVA had worked so well that I had gone pre-LVAD, I was at the point I could barely get up and walk to the bathroom under my own power and it just feet away in the hospital room. To uh, a couple weeks later, I'm having this stairs test and they, they call me down because I'm taking the stairs too quickly. Uh, I was ecstatic. Uh, it was such an amazing new lease on life. It comes with its own complications, but they're worth it. Uh, I, I you know, if anybody finds himself in for the market for an LVAD, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I know that, um, I mean, you, you had the LVAD, you know, for you know, what, almost four years. Yeah, I mean, basically four years, 44 yeah, months. Living almost normally going, I know you were telling me you were, you know, playing some golf and, and um, you know, even- I was going camping with an LVAD. With an LVAD. I even bought a truck. Uh, because it had a seven kilowatt generator in it, so I had my own power source with me, so I didn't have to just go to state parks. <laughs> I could overland. But uh, yeah, I was working full time with it and still enjoying my hobbies and my family. Uh, in the beginning, you know, like I said, I got down to 160 something pounds, so there's a period of time you have to recoup, you have to recover from that. And um, I was very fortunate to have my son as my caregiver. He actually uh, quit a, a really good 
paying job on the road to come take care of me. Uh, he insisted that he was going to be the one. And I was very, very thankful and, and grateful for that. Uh, of course, he ended up getting another really good career there locally. So he's, he's doing very well. Uh, it didn't slow him down at all. He just jumped into something else he wanted to do. And that was good to see and good to spend that time with him. Um, but gaining back some weight, uh, I did end up gaining all the weight back plus a little more. I just didn't store it the same way. Uh, it wasn't much muscle anymore, <laughs> but, uh, I'm working on that to this day. Um, COVID was a big impact, um, because I was actually with an bag going to the gym and, and trying to work out, uh, or I was working out and getting better. And then COVID come along and it shut all that down. I continue to do home exercise, but it just, I do better in a gym. Um, so there was that, but overall, uh, an excellent experience. There was lots that come with an LVAD and had plenty of uh, questions because people were curious. And um, it was, uh, I, I made the best of it. I had fun with it because with an LVAD, you don't have a pulse. You know, people can check all they want because the LVAD is a pump that goes into your left ventricle. It uh, has cannula. It basically bypasses your left ventricle. You, it's, your heart's still beating, but the LVAD pump is doing most of the work. So you have a constant flow of uh, blood. Therefore, there's no ba-bomp, ba-bomp. And uh, I, would, I would always have fun with that. For uh, one instance, I was at a conference and the president of our company, who I had known for some time, he uh, overheard me talking to someone about the fact I don't have a pulse. And he, he, didn't, he didn't believe I didn't have a pulse. And uh, I said, well, I promise you I do. He said, I bet you 50 bucks you got a pulse because you couldn't be standing here without a pulse. And I said, I bet. <laughs> and I took his money. <laughs> but, uh, things like that. I just, yeah. uh, I use that to uh, break the ice with people and kind of uh, have a way to explain to them and educate people along the way. Because hardly anybody knew what LBAD was. People still, most people have no idea. Uh, there are becoming more and, uh, and more out there. Uh, so I have run into people that know. Um, yeah. Well, of course, there it can be, um, I mean, as normal life as, as you can get with an LVAD, I think is wonderful, but it's a mechanical device. And sometimes it comes with some complications, some, you know, sometimes it gets infected, sometimes it gets clotted off. Um, it was Those forced, are the two but, big things, driveline in, infection yeah. and blood clots. So that yeah. you have to worry about. Tell us a little bit what happened. Uh, you're, you're almost five years into it and then you're doing some yard work outside and um you know obviously you were still hoping to have a heart you know and and mm -hmm. go cardiac transplant how was that waiting um you know well it, it was about four years in and uh the waiting uh the beginning is it's a lot of anxiety uh involved in it along with the anxiety that's involved with having a mechanical pump mounted in your heart, cable coming out your side, a little computer and two batteries to tote around all the time. Um, I actually have uh, got the best solution, I think, for that. And that uh, I don't know whether you know what a football football girl is, but it's uh, what uh, we used to wear at football practice. It's got the pockets on it for your pads, and then you wear it under your football, whatever you're wearing, shorts or whatever. 
anyway, I got me some of those and my controller went in one pocket and my batteries went in two other pockets and I wore them under jeans or khakis. And you could tell if you really look, maybe what you're looking for, but most people never even knew I was wearing it. And that's what allowed me to go to the gym. It gives you a lot of freedom. Cable's not hanging loose. You don't have to worry about that. The waiting game is a lot of anxiety, especially in the first uh, several months. Uh, I have O negative blood. So that limited my uh, exposure. I mean, uh, my opportunity of getting a donor because O negative, it only makes up about 7% of the population. Of that 7%, they need to be about the same height, build, uh, not exactly, but close. And uh, they also have to have chosen to be an organ donor. And uh, so that's why I talk, talk about that a lot. Uh, choose, you know, choose to donate and become an organ donor is a, a big thing. Yeah, being uh, the old negative makes you a great um, donor, not so much mm -hmm. a great recipient. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's uh, I mean, you're able to, you know, donate to anyone. And yeah. there are studies that suggest that you're uh, more resistant to some viruses and resistant to dementia and uh, also resistant to uh, heart disease, although I've had a lot of good that <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, I think it's the CLL treatment that messed yeah. that up. <laughs> so, so basically, um, I knew going into it that I was going to have a long wait. Uh, the doctors had told me this, and uh, honestly, at that point in time, I had forgotten that I was even O negative, so uh, early on, I, I called them, uh, called my, uh, uh, LVAD nurse and, uh, asked her, said, what, uh, this is before I was in the process of getting listed. This is shortly after the LVAD. I'm starting to think about it. And I asked her, said, what, uh, what blood type am I? And she told me, oh, negative. And I told her that's not never been negative a day in my life, but, uh, evidently now I am. <laughs> uh, so I knew going into it, this was going to be a possibly a very long wait. Um, and in the first year, especially, it was uh, a lot of anxiety with it because every time the phone rings, you know, uh, is that it? You know, your family get it. And I was still working and I was doing meetings and uh, conferences and dealing with customers face to face in their offices. And uh, uh, the ones that knew me well already knew when that phone rang, they could just stop talking. I was going to look at my phone. <laughs> uh, but I had to explain it sometimes. And um, that there was some, uh, the that waned off, I think, as the years went by. Um, I had become very accustomed to being tied to my phone. My phone was with me all the time. Its battery was charged all the time. Uh, had backup with a smart watch that, uh, would receive a phone call if this was dead. Phone was dead. I would actually also get the call on my smartwatch. So I had a backup. Um, and um, plus, you were doing well, you know, on the LVAD, and therefore, I was doing very well. We're not so much a priority for a heart transplant at that point. I mean, I unfortunately, was, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, some the, people uh, have LVAD as a destination. I mean, that's that's all they get, of course. And right. You could go years like this. Right. Two ways with the LVAD. You're either destination therapy, which you can last for a number of years and have a really good quality of life with your family and whatnot. So it's excellent for that. But it's also a bridge to transplant. And that's how it was used in me. 
and uh, that bridge was a very long bridge, uh, mm -hmm. but we got there. And over time, the anxiety off of it let up, uh, but it but it was always there. And then finally, um, I didn't actually get the call like someone would think. I actually did the call because uh, the initial call to get things started because I was actually on a ladder trimming uh, some limbs off so they wouldn't block my security camera. And uh, my alarm started going off on my LVAD, loud and proud. I mean, it was, it was you can't, can't miss it. And um, so I, I got down and looked at it and said, uh, call, basically was, the gist of the message was call us right now. So uh, I, I did that and spoke with them for a moment, explained what was going on and how I was feeling. And um, they said, you need to come on to the hospital, don't drive, pack a bag. So uh, I went ahead and threw some things in a bag. My mom uh, drove me over there. Uh, I, I felt like I could drive, but whatever was going on didn't say I could, so, so I did not. Was admitted. Um, shortly thereafter, they said, well, you, you can't leave without a heart transplant. I started having a lot of uh, VTAC events and uh, VTAC uh, storms, and they were having me on IV medicine to try to control them, but it was becoming challenging even with the medicine. But they did they did finally get it dialed in where they had it under control. They told me, make yourself at home. You, you could be here for months. And thankfully, I was not. I was only there two to three weeks. And uh, that's when I got the in the hospital call. They actually called my cell phone and uh, told me what was going on. Uh, that They thought I was going to get it. As anytime you get a call with a heart transplant, you don't know that you're definitely the one. Uh, because there'll be a few people in the pool, maybe here, maybe in Atlanta, maybe in Memphis, maybe somewhere else. Or national. Uh, so you have to understand that. But the fact that they moved me to a one because I was uh, so difficult to, to keep stable, uh, really, you know, that bummed me up. So I got the transplant, um, which was a surreal experience in and of itself. Uh, uh, a lot of, uh, someone had asked me before this, uh, how do you? How are you going to do that? How are you just going to go in there and lay down on a table knowing they're going to uh, rip your heart out? And uh, I said, well, I, that's so hard. I've already been married twice. So ripping my heart out ain't no problem. <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, but I did just that. And it's uh, it's uh, it's an experience that uh, you prepare yourself for along the way. You, you know it's coming. You know you're going to get a heart. You know you're going to get better. And uh, so you look at the, the other side of that uh, problem and you get there. But uh, it really wasn't a difficult decision on any of it because I had come to a point that I only had two options and uh, one of them was live and the other one wasn't so, uh, so good. So, yeah. Um, How long were you in the hospital? And uh, uh, what was your post-operative course? After post off, they actually said I got out faster than than most. I was only in there about two weeks. Yeah. And what that was a whole other uh, joyful experience. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, I, uh, you know, recovery 
course was rough. I had some uh, gut issues. Um, I think the anesthesia put everything to sleep and it uh, took a minute for everything to wake up. Um, and so they worked on that and uh, got me past that. And my heart was doing great. I was up walking. I was, you know, they get you up walking like real quick. I mean, very quickly they get you up walking. And uh, so uh, I felt like I was uh, really a, a new lease on life. You know, I went from the LVAD, which was did a great job for me, uh, to now I have an actual heart in my chest, uh, thanks to uh, my donor and their family. You did some cardiac rehab with other cardiac patients or other oh, cardiac, yes. uh, you know, heart recipients or. Mm -hmm. I did it at uh, UAB uh, uh, at the Spain uh, Rehab Center, and um, I met a number of other patients in there. Uh, I met uh, one one lady. She was only in her early 30s at best, uh, had small children, uh, and she just got a heart transplant the week before I did. All right, she, she got it. Uh, put out of the hospital a few days after I got put in. We never met in the hospital. Um, so, uh, and, and many others and heard their stories and told my story. And, and that's when you go to cardiac rehab and the other patients that walk the road or there, it's, uh, it does you good, not just physically there, but mentally and emotionally to exchange stories and, and uh, such as that of, of the journey. Yeah, I think it's a fabulous support group. As a matter of fact, that's one of the main reasons why I send, I try to send all of my patients to cardiac rehab, whether you recover from a heart attack or whether you have heart failure. Here, I can't imagine what it would be to get with a group of, you know, people just went through the same thing you did. I mean, it's the effect, uh, the positivity, and, you know, the uh, the support. And it becomes like a support group. I mean, mental. There, there are support groups for uh, transplant and such that I've not actually gone to any of the support groups for transplant. Uh, I was involved with uh, during the LVAD. Uh, we had regular uh, LVAD support group meetings, and those were excellent. Uh, made a lot of friends that had LVADs, have stayed in contact and become very close friends with a couple of them. Uh, so uh, that that was really good. It's good for an LVAD patient, uh, or so. Yeah. Well, now you know you you walk down the street, um, nobody would know that you know you have a twenty one year old heart. You know, in your right. by your business, completely normal. And I tell people when they ask how old I am, I tell them thirty eight because I'm taking the average. <laughs> uh, Actually, aren't you the age of your heart? You know, that's the that? Aren't you the age of your heart? You know, so. And, and well, that, there's more to me than the heart, though that is the big thing. Uh, so I, I take the average because nobody's going to believe. Well, by now, 22, uh, nobody's going to believe that. Obviously, you have to take medication. You have to kind of follow up with your team. And uh, there's many biopsies here. How, how's the life, you know, of a transplanted heart patient? Uh, well, for me, it's good. Um, really awesome, actually. Um, of course, you uh, have the medications, and uh, there in the very beginning, there are so many. Um, 
it, it's a lot. It's still a lot to this day, but in the very beginning, it's a lot, lot. Uh, it's still a lot to this day, but a lot of medicines have dropped off. Uh, I can fit all my medicines in a regular size pill box now for the day, uh, for that time of day. Uh, whereas before, I could not. Uh, there was a lot, but, uh, and they do come with their side effects. Each one uh, can present a different side effect and it's different in everybody. Some people have certain side effects and not others and vice versa. Um, and most everybody has side effects from the steroids, which is to be expected. Uh, they're, they're, my favorite side effect is uh, getting up every morning and breathing. Uh, I really enjoy that one. So I don't mind taking them. Enjoying uh, a new day. No, not at all. Um, what about the uh, cardiac biopsies? Uh, how frequently do you have to do that? And uh, what's your experience as a patient? You go to the hospital, is it like a special place? Uh, how is it done? Uh, you know, does it, does it hurt? What is the experience of that? Uh, well, in the beginning, uh, you, you go to Kirkland Clinic, you don't actually get admitted to the hospital. Uh, but uh, in the beginning, it, it seems like you're having them every couple of hours, but it's actually uh, every, uh, in the beginning, it's twice a week. And then that dwindles down to once a week. Then it's uh, uh, once every two weeks for a while. And, and it progresses. At this point, I'm, oh, what am I, 18, around a year and a half out. Um, and I've been on every three months for, for a while, once every three months. Uh, I'm scheduled again next month, actually. Honestly, you know, they're not something I would just book on a spa day or anything, but uh, you get used to them. Uh, I've come to, uh, you have so many in the beginning and then it dwindles down, but you end up knowing the people, the people that are generally in there doing it. Uh, the, the staff inside. So, you know, I walk in, it's like cheers and you know, everybody knows my name. Uh, and uh, they do a good job. They, they numb up. They, they go in right around here. I've got a little scar that in, the uh, neck. Yeah. in my neck because they've gone in so many times. It's not noticeable, but uh, you go in, they numb that up real good and uh, they go to doing their job, putting in the, uh, sliding in the catheters and wires and um, I'm, you know, everybody's experience is different. Um, it's uncomfortable, but it's not, you know, painful. Uh, the shot in the beginning to uh, numb you up is uh, just like going to the dentist. That's, that's pretty much the worst pain part. And, um, I had been very interested in what was going on. So, uh, uh, me and Talaj, me and Dr. Talaj, when, uh, he does mine, which is, I get him at least half the time. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll pick back and forth at each other and I'll, I'll try to, uh, count how many biopsies he's pulled out. Um, and, uh, just, you know, it can be a real stressor, but I try to look at it as a, uh, you know, just a means to get the results, which are reassuring. You know, you find out that, yeah, everything's okay. Most of the time, uh, there can be rejection to deal with and such as that. And I, I went through that. A lot of transplant patients do, uh, but it's very treatable. And that's the point of having, the further you go out from transplant, the less your chances of rejection. 
And that's the reason that they do them so often in the beginning and then it dwindles down over the years. I think at five years or so, you're just coming once a year. Um, so right now I'm every three months. Shortly I'll be every four months. Yeah, I bet it on. Yeah. yeah. And I know you've been through a rejection, you know, period. It was treated. It was, you know, a little tough to treat, but they really kind of, you know, pour the kitchen sink and, you know, and really. Did, uh, it was persistent. Uh, it was last Christmas, wasn't it? Yes, it was actually the last time I was, I was hospitalized twice. I, I started off by doing uh, steroids at home. And for most people, that'll knock it out. Uh, for whatever reason, I decided to be persistent. Uh, I had had a reason I was in the hospital, but it's because I had appendicitis. And then I went on to have my regularly scheduled biopsy the following week. Actually, I think it was later that week after I got out from the appendicitis. And uh, I had, had rejection. So they had me take medicines I already had available to me at home, steroids, uh, but higher doses for a few days. And that normally knocks it out. Mine was persistent. So um, I had to go back for another biopsy. It said rejection. This time they put me in the hospital, steroids. Another biopsy rejection. Put me back in the hospital. And this time I had a couple of options, but I chose, as one doctor put it, a 10 megaton bomb of steroids to knock it out uh, completely. And uh, so I got that and it did the job. I got out on Christmas Eve, went back uh, the 28th and had another biopsy, which uh, set all clear. So, Yeah, pretty fantastic. Well, it looks like through, throughout the, this course, you know, I mean, what's, what's very apparent is your resilience and your approach to problems that has really kind of helped you fight, um, you know, the, the AFib, the cancer, the, the heart attack, and, and all your experience, you know, recovering <clears throat> from the heart transplant. Uh, we know that uh, there's a growing body of research that's linked positive emotion and optimism the way that you have, like life satisfaction, as relate this to better cardiovascular health, um, reduce risk of adverse outcome in patients with heart disease like you had, as well as lower incidence of cardiovascular disease in the healthy population. I mean, I know, you, you know you've been a proponent of um, not even talking about hope, but, you know, I mean, you were against hope. I mean, you were... Well, I, I was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it was uh, an attention grabber on a uh, post I made where I was making the point about being positive and it worked. It got a lot of attention and a lot of people <laughs> ended up re responding to that and reacting to that post and uh, contacted me and telling me their story. Uh, a number of people did. So it did its job. It got, it got that out in people's mind. And that's something I'm a proponent of trying to put out there. Uh, I do stand up comedy, uh, just open mics and such as that, but that's a big thing I push in my stand up comedy. And um, and I talk about some of the health issues, and it, it really uh, it feels good, and uh, it feels like it's something I should be doing when someone comes back to me after hearing my story, either from someone else or from me, or on through comedy, and says, "Hey, you know, I'm really glad you said that." You know, one guy come up after a show, and uh, he had to be helped up there because he was starting chemo the next day he was he was in pretty rough shape but uh i had just made 
a lot of laughs out of cancer and uh it it helped him and that helped me in turn um uh, as a community whether it be cancer or heart uh other patients are, are really a source of strength uh they have been for me and uh i encourage any patients uh to reach out to your uh, fellow patients, your fellow survivors, and uh, have these discussions because uh, nobody understands you and what you went through any more than uh, your peers in that, that uh, situation. Yeah, very important message. Um, and we hope that uh, you convey that to a lot of patients that are going through sometimes some rough time and uh, you, you can't do anything when I mean, they happen in any ways even if you have, um, you know, you're doing everything to prevent them from happening. You can't predict heart attack, for example. They happen and you know, people that take care of themselves. But the outcome is really different. You know, the way you, you uh, approach uh, the healthy lifestyle and, and being positive, uh, positively minded uh, can really help with your recovery. And I have to say right. that uh, during those times, uh, when you're in the heat of battle, the re remaining positive, uh, keeping that positive outlook is a battle in and of itself. Uh, when you have all the, the negative outcomes coming at you that you got to beat, uh, but it's a battle worth winning. It's one you got to win. Uh, you know, uh, that those dark thoughts start creeping in. Uh, get up, uh, go talk to someone. Uh, bounce a ball something disrupt your thought process and get back on track uh it's those kind of things actually work uh they, they sound a little hokey but uh it's true disrupt that thought process find a way back on track and it i believe that it positively uh affects your outcomes but at the very least it improves your quality of life yeah the resilience you know, with um, from heart attack to heart transplant with the Houston deal. Houston, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate your help. All right, man. I really appreciate you over the years, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. To learn more from our team of cardiologists, please visit us at myheart.net. You can also follow us on social media by searching myheart.net on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next episode.